0: Welcome to the Creating Conscious Serendipity podcast. I'm your host, Benny Matthew. I'm the founder of Orion 3, which has the mission to create conscious serendipity. And today, I'm very excited to have um, someone who I met during COVID. I don't even remember exactly how, but who I met during COVID, who I've gotten to know through Zoom and texts and emails. Um, and then last year was when we really got to like meet and get to really know each other um, someone who is a tech founder, a woman who I have a ton of respect for and who I genuinely like a lot, who's also one of the newest Orion Core members for this year. Chrissy Zolke, welcome.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm so honored to be invited. Thanks, Jenny.
0: Yeah, no, this is a, uh, it's a little bit kind of like deja vu because you just did the Orion 3 Women in Leadership event. Uh, which you absolutely <laughs> killed it with Kavita. Um, so uh, some of the questions I ask may be a little, maybe repetitive, but we'll keep it fun though.
1: Yeah, no worries at all. Happy to share my story with anyone that makes it helpful for
0: them. So to start off, um, how about you just explain who Christy is?
1: Yeah. So who Christy is is she is a small town Wisconsin girl. <laughs> uh, that's where I grew up. Uh, with a a uh, entrepreneurial spirit that is bursting, I uh, I have always I think I'm a genetically inclined to entrepreneurship. I had that runs through a bit of my family. Both sides of my grandparents were entrepreneurs. And I've always, I just remember even in high school, thinking of business ideas, honestly. Um, And I went to Xavier University, which is a small university in Cincinnati. Most people know us for our basketball team. But what I know Xavier uh, as, is they had a major in entrepreneurship um, in in 2005. So that was a long time ago um, and was one of the first universities that had that. Now, my husband loves to razz me a little of like, how do you get a major in entrepreneurship? Isn't that like an oxymoron? And yeah, I'm like, you know, yeah. it kind of is. Like I <laughs> totally get it. Um, so I guess I kind of got a major in just like life and growing up and drinking beer and all that stuff in college more so than anything else. But um, but you know, I just have this thriving entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which has is the key theme throughout um throughout Christy life.
0: So when you say the entrepreneur you said like high school and like when you were younger right can you give me some examples of that of the entrepreneurial spirit that you had and how you like whether it's selling things or just a mindset you had at that point
1: Yeah like I remember so in in high school we had um we had a marketing club called Deca I think it's like a public school um public school thing and and it was but no one ha- had my high school had ever done it before and so I totally like jumped in I was like pioneering that like and uh, yeah that's not like entrepreneurship I didn't start a business but I was kind of just like this first mover and I of course I didn't just like join it as a club I was like a state officer for it um which is so nerdy uh, and I'm a huge nerd, but um, that's okay. I love being a nerd, <laughs> honestly. Um, but I remember like in, in class, I would think of like business ideas in my marketing class, I would just kind of think of these business ideas. And one of them I remember this is way before cell phones or smartphones ever existed. And, but I just remember thinking, I'm like, man, if we could have something where we could email our grocery list to the store, And then we had a device on our grocery cart and it would tell us exactly where in the aisles um, the things were on our grocery list. And then we could coupon people um, throughout the aisles. We could make a lot of money. And like, that was like an idea I had when I was in high school and we kind of have that a little bit today. Like, so I just, I've always, I always was thinking of them. I don't, I definitely started, like, I had like a little babysitter, like I was a babysitter. So I was always, that. I never grew it into like an actual business though. So, um I was really consumed by sports. Um so you know I didn't I I didn't start a, a law knowing business or anything like that, but it certainly was the idea the ideas were flowing rapidly.
0: <laughs> Wait, so that isn't that like Instacart?
1: Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I mean you <laughs> can say that's
0: Instacart, yes. Well the crazy no, thing I is you knew idea. that before. You knew that before, like we even have the smartphone. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So when you were thinking about entrepreneurship as a kid, was it, what was it, was it about uh, when you thought of these ideas, was it more about like, was the money that motivated you or was it the creativity that motivated you? Was it the independence that motivated you? What was it?
1: It was the creativity. I've never really been super motivated by money, uh, and which is probably why entrepreneurship kind of works for me. Well, has worked for me. And what I mean by that is, I actually was convinced to. Um, so I actually started my first business when I was in college. Uh, I created the first student-run business on Xavier University's campus. Um, and because I created that company, I sat on the board of entrepreneurship for the university. And I met this woman who at the time worked at Procter and Gamble, and she was sitting on the board representing entrepreneurship. And so she asked me at one point, she's like, Christy, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I was like, well, I'm going to go start another company. And she was like, okay, well, what are you going to start? I was like, I don't know yet. (laughs) <laughs> you know I didn't have my idea yet and she's like okay you know she's probably like oh this is so cute this little 21 year old um uh and she's like well why don't you do this she's like why don't you come and work at Procter & Gamble and we're gonna teach you how to build billion dollar brands you get to watch p- uh, leaders who are like really well trained in leadership lead companies you make a $50,000 mistake and it's not going to hit your personal checking account to come learn and be a sponge and do that for a couple of years and then go start your own business. And I was like, wow, that's like a really good advice. And so I followed Kristen to uh, Procter and Gamble and had the opportunity then to work on brands like the always brand and fem care in Gillette, shavers, old spice, body wash across the total male grooming portfolio. It was, it was, I loved it. It was great. I really enjoyed my time there, but and about six years in, I was like, okay, like, I think I've maxed out on my learning curve. Like, I knew I was going to continue to learn more, but I think, like, the steepness of that curve was starting to level up a little bit, and I wanted more, and I was ready to go do my next thing. And so because I'm not super money motivated, um, no, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy paying my bills. I enjoy, like, right, right, right. You know, I do like stability, right. However, I wasn't afraid. I, I wasn't really thinking about like um, a lot of things. Um, and so I just so I just quit my corporate job and started a tech company.
0: Um, How old were you? We? happened? I was 28, I think. I think
1: it was 28. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 27, 28. Yep.
0: Um,
1: and so that so that I think that's what really motivates me is like I see a problem. And I'm like, there is a, such a better way. And it's so obvious, like, of course, like why wouldn't you do this? Um, and so I just see a problem that I want to solve. And I feel so passionate about it, that I feel like I can get up every morning and try to tackle that problem.
0: Do you think entrepreneurship, based on your experience, not anybody else, not like what other people say, or other people that you know, based on your experience, do you think Entrepreneurship is more nature or nurture. Nature meaning where you're born a certain way, where you think that way, where your DNA is a certain mm-hmm. way, or nurture as in you learn and you figure out and you know.
1: Mine is absolutely that I am I'm wired to do this. I'm wired to do this for sure. It's more of a DNA thing for me that has gotten me into it. I think you don't have to have the DNA. To be very successful at it um and do it. I just think the reason why I'm doing it is because I'm wired this way.
0: You know, the only person who like who I know really well that is also like that, and you met him two weeks ago is Robert Blackwell. Cause he so yeah. like he's the only person I know that made a deal with his um his principal to sell candy and gum yeah and for nickels and dimes when he was like seven or eight years old. Um yeah you know, and then you hear like all the famous people like Gary Vaynerchuk and all that, that uh, Gary V and, you know, like all the other people that say, oh, you know, they're, it's wired, they're wired that way. But it's funny, because it's almost like a different generational thing and all that, but very similar to what Robert says. Um, Mm -hmm. But you, um, so with the Procter & Gamble, I mean that is a great learning experience right and obviously like like you That's said John, you do it without losing your own 50 you could lose $50,000 without you losing anything what was the biggest um what's the biggest lesson that you learned from there that like transpired over to where you're at right now
1: yeah well i think it's hard there's two things that come to mind one is like just like their level of problem solving is at like a level i didn't i my brain was not wired to think that way in college and i don't even know how to describe it or articulate it to anyone i think it was just like you got into these meetings and you're like whoa these people think at a different level yeah. uh and so just having that exposure to listen to how people are problem solving and thinking strategically. Um, And also Procter & Gamble is a very flat organization in the sense where they give, meaning they give people day one, they give them a lot of responsibility. Like I had a budget to spend of millions of dollars day one. And so I was in a lot of these meetings. I was in meetings with a VP of marketing, listening to how she was talking about the strategy for the global femcare brands. And so you have this exposure to people who just think at a level that they cannot teach you in college. So that was one. And I don't have a specific way to even describe it necessarily to the people. And I hope I picked up on that through my six years <laughs> there. Uh, but then the second thing is that Procter and Gamble is they had always say consumer is boss. And they just really hammered into our minds that like, no matter what you're doing, the consumer, consumer insight has to lead to the problem. And so a lot of folks in the tech world, they've written books to the tech world about how you shouldn't, how you don't just go build a piece of technology and then try to find the consumer to buy it. You have to find the problem and then create the, the tech that solves that problem and they've written all these books on that and I'm like wait why do you need to write a book on that isn't that what we all do but that's how P&G trained us it's like you don't just you don't just create a new soap you go in and you study consumers you understand their unmet needs uh, and then you understand how to position that in the market and then you go build a product that fits that and so that has been a key part of entrepreneurship for me which is identifying an unmet need, the insight behind that unmet need, and then creating the product after, after that.
0: How do you think that's changed for, especially for bigger companies from, because what years were you, when did you leave Procter & Gamble? Like 2014?
1: Uh, 2011.
0: 2011. Okay. So it's been 12 years, right? And I feel like the world has changed drastically in the last 12 years, because I remember, 2011 was two years right after we came out of the recession um things were like booming um there was a lot of things that are talked about now that wasn't talked about before technology has astronomically increased in the last in my opinion uh for the mainstream like uh the last 12 years so how because like nowadays there's a lot more about like um um diversity right like for more like um, focus groups and things like that. And there's more technology to reach more people. Um, And I feel like there's all these startups that have happened over the last, especially six, seven years, um, five years um, that have kind of came in and just like exploded because they were able to listen to certain consumer groups like really listen and deliver where big companies couldn't do that. And then what happened is the big companies Mm. ended up buying them and having big exits, right? So like how, what, because there's people that are, I would say the average it is the average age of people that listen to this or people that are part of Orion Three is between thirty nine and fifty four, like the average, like the okay. the biggest group, right? And so, how has that consumer like uh, consumer behavior data analytics how has that changed and how is that how is that different now than when you were practicing gamble? So I think
1: one thing that has stayed consistent is that. No matter if you're the large organization or the small company, you're still starting with a consumer insight. And the way that they articulate that is job to be done. Like, that's the new cool phrase. Like, I just went to, like, a product-led growth seminar two, three days ago that P33 led. And they had this very smart um, consultant came in. And this was very much his talk about, like, and it, it pulls up a slide and it says jobs to be done. And that's how P&G may not say consumers boss anymore, but they say, okay, what's the job to be done that we're solving for? And that's what that's how these startups are. They're going, okay, that's the job to be done. It's just that startups now are much more nimble in that they can create a product faster because they don't have the bureaucracy to work through. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also can expand experiment and iterate a lot faster so they can learn faster uh, because, again, they don't have the bureaucracy to work through. And then they're also a little bit more, they can be a little more creative. So I think people who are in large corporations, once you get to a certain level, they are hired in because they have an amazing skill set that tends to be very operationally focused because if you have an entrepreneurial brain like me, I don't thrive in an environment of corporate America. Sometimes you can find these really great entrepreneurs and they can thrive and they're huge assets, but we're terrible inside these large organizations at, at working like thinking through things that like really scale and like, and that have like a billion dollar price tag to them. Entrepreneurs tend to, we tend to be able to think differently. And so you find us less in these large corporations. So, I think we can innovate uh, a lot easier because of just like the, con- we don't have the constraints, but also we just think different than folks who thrive and do amazingly well in these corporations. We're just a different skill set. So, and a lot of these large companies now are starting to think, um, and this is not necessarily p and I'm not speaking on their behalf by any means, but I'm just saying like any, <laughs> some of these large corporations, but that, yeah. um, that I've seen is like, they, they go, okay, listen, like, if we'll let other people innovate, and then as soon as they get to 30 million, 100 million, we'll just buy them because it's cheap. We'll let them make the mistakes. We'll let them tinker and iterate and pivot. And then once they've got traction, something there, that doesn't cost us on our PL, we'll just acquire them. It's just easier to acquire. And so I think that can be, because they're not as versed in the creativity, they tend to purchase more of that, and that's okay. It works for their balance sheet.
0: So, um, with actually now going into your uh, your specific background on like the startup scene, right? So, after PNG, can you talk about like your entrepreneurship experience since until now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I left PNG in 2011 to start a a tech company. I created a smartphone app that takes pictures of moles on your skin and characterize and and measures their characteristics for uh, melanoma skin cancer. I sold that technology in 2012. So it was a year venture. It was like a really quick turnaround. Uh, So you mentioned this during
0: our, uh, the women in leadership event. And I, I didn't dig into this one as much as, uh, so I do want to know now though, why, like why, uh, why melanoma cancer? And um, what can yeah. you decide to, of all the things, cause like back then was like when Instagram was just cut, you know, like just had like came about, WhatsApp, Facebook, why take pictures of these things on your hand as cancer? And that's like the complete yeah, opposite so of Yeah, so why like, going sexy. from,
1: like why going from selling razors to like
0: yeah.
1: a, a health app? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm a little too random sometimes in my ideas, but I think what what it was something that was um, someone in my life at that time had been significantly impacted by melanoma
0: okay. and
1: they would go to the doctor and the doctor would send them home with a piece of paper that would say, I want you to track all the moles on your body and for these five characteristics. And it was like a, a piece of paper. And I'm, and so, and there's very, there's like these five characteristics that are the a, B, C, D, E's it's asymmetry, border irregularity, color differentiation, diameter, and evolution. Those are all things that you can, if you just took a picture of something and compared it to the other picture, a computer could tell you if those, if those yeah. things change, but like, and so I would be asked like, Hey, Christy, did this mall change? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea where I put my car keys this morning, let alone did your mole change. Oh, yes. And so I like, I just, I was like, this is so dumb that we are doing that. This just seems so dumb that we're doing this. And this is, a, this is like something that could really help someone be able to go into their doctor and say, listen, I've been tracking these moles. Here is the before and after. I'm here. Be, I'm here because I think maybe one of these things has changed based on my image um, comparison. Can you look at it for me? And so it was not meant to be ever. It wasn't like a diagnosis. It was a. It was to replace a piece of paper, and it was to get people to go to the doctor and get help when they probably needed it. Um, and so that's, I just felt so passionate about like preventative healthcare um, and this cause because it hit home for me um, with someone close to me having had this experience that I was just like, this is too ridiculous not to solve. Now, it was, we are really early for the market. So, like, you're right, like, smartphones came out in 2007. I mean, apps were pretty new um, mm-hmm. in general. So it was a, um, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty new, a pretty new thing. And, um, and so Microsoft, or sorry, IBM and Google, they both just launched their versions of this four years ago. So it's like taken that long for the market to really catch up to, to the idea wow.
0: of,
1: of this whole thing.
0: I mean, that's like truly pioneering something. Yeah. And, like, and the problem is not- you
1: like, you want to have good market timing with your, your tech. And so I was just a little too early. So, um, it wasn't the billion dollar I at the time, but it, if I would have launched it four years ago, it would have been.
0: what did you learn <laughs> about just, what'd you what'd you learn early? That experience?
1: Well, I learned a lot about just tech in general, coming from CPG to tech. I learned just how to mechanically do it. Meaning, um, it, uh, just like, oh, you need a UX designer and a, and a developer. You need a, a channel strategies, like those sorts of things. Um, but then also I learned a lot about myself. Like I learned that I was, I didn't have a co-founder. I had a really great, I worked with a developer who is an MIT grad student, phenomenal guy, extremely talented, love him personally. Um, but we didn't get to work in the same office. Like he was in Boston, I was in Chicago, um, and I was lonely, I was lonely. I needed, like, I'm like, I really want a co-founder. I really want a true co-founder. Um, I um, learned, you know, things I liked about entrepreneurship, things that I was good at, things I wasn't, what I should probably hire for, all of that. So it was just a lot of self-discovery uh, and um, and and business discovery, both, twofold.
0: And then, so you sold that a year after, um, why? So mm-hmm. why did you sell it a year after? Why not hold, like, why the timing?
1: Yeah, so uh, we are featured on the Dr. Oz show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a daytime I've heard of it. TV show. Yeah, yeah um, I think it came on right after Oprah or something like that, um, <laughs> but we were featured there. So we got global visibility and a guy, an investor out of the UK was out acquiring um, preventative healthcare technology he reached out to me and said, Hey, like, is your app for sale? And I was like, well, everything's always for sale, depending on the price. So, um, so it was like the right, it was, he was the right guy to take it forward. Like he was all about preventative healthcare. He knew more about that space. Um, It was a great ROI on my investment into it. And I was like, okay, great. Got my first win. Let's do this. Um, So he flew us to South Africa the developer and I, we did the, um, cause he, this guy worked between UK and South Africa with South Africa. We offboarded or onboarded his team and, um, and did the sale, um, pretty quickly. Um, and then I went back this to, like, guy wouldn't journals. happen to
0: be named Elon Musk, right?
1: No, but I, Oh my God. With that have been amazing. Someday, <laughs> uh, It does kind of sound like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that would have been amazing. That's what I probably would have led with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I wouldn't be, I hopefully
0: wouldn't be fundraising for my next company. If it would, if it hadn't. Yeah. I think that would, uh, I think that <laughs> I mean, would be calling up it's, it's so funny. Cause Elon. you're like talking about this guy that just randomly reached out to you, who's doing this stuff <laughs> and big on technology from South Africa. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm thinking about the timing. I'm like, uh christy hmm. you're not saying his name so <laughs>
1: <laughs> what if i would have been like that was his name do you know him <laughs> that would have been like really that would have been the best uh yeah no it wasn't uh, him so at this oh, time another smart you,
0: like from a personal life standpoint because i mean i'm sure you were 100 percent all in on just building the company right uh until mm-hmm. the exit so mm-hmm. like what about your personal life how did that because we're right around the same age and i want to say yeah. it was i got married in 20 i always forget this i got married in 2011 got divorced in 2014 the beginning of 2014 and i just hmm. so i i think about like certain moments in time and like how my mindset was right hmm. um you building your company at this point that just takes away from a lot of the things that you can do with your personal life no matter if you're a man woman no matter where you live like you just It it consumes your time. Where were you at Mm -hmm. in your personal life at this point?
1: Um, I was, so when I was founding the company, I was engaged. And then when, I think it was like a couple months after we were married that I sold the app, I think, the technology. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, I got married in 2012. Um, So yeah, it was like, within like four months after I was married that um I sold the technology so but I you know I was like um didn't have any kids I had a dog I was a dog mom you know so um yeah so it, it was it was I could dedicate a lot of time
0: and then what about after that so continue with your story so you sold that and then in 2012 and then what
1: um, so, sold that, um, and then I went back to my journal of business ideas, and I um, and I was like, okay, I want what's the next problem I'm going to solve, and I really I had this problem when I was at Procter and Gamble, which was we were spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year in market research data. So we would go and collect all this survey data on from our consumers, you know. So on Gillette, we'd ask them all kinds of questions, like. When do you shave? Where do you shave? Um, Like, why do you shave? What are your aspirations in life? Like, you know, like everything. We spend so much money on this and we would get the data in, we'd analyze it once and then we just save it on our hard drives and we get it in these files that were impossible to search, like in these data files. And so I'm like, I need like the Google for market research data and I want some analytics component to it. So that's where um, Knowledge Hound, this next company, was birthed out of this problem that the job to be done uh, for the, the person in large companies was, how do I get insights at my fingertips now? Um, and so that's really what I was trying to solve for uh, with Knowledge Hound. And that, was, that took me on an eight-year journey uh venture capital this time very different than the first i did not raise any money with the first company um that was all bootstrapped and self-funded and then this company was all and then knowledge hound was um angel round with a few vcs and then VC round in there as well so um very different
0: so can you talk about the the differences like especially with knowledge hound like how the bootstrapping was a lot different than now i am to raise so much money um and then what year did you start knowledge hound um so
1: 2013.
0: oh wow so you only really waited a year to start the next one
1: yeah yeah I, w- I mean i like it was like four months like i just <laughs> like i was like i, w- I don't know, yeah i was not on a awesome. somewhere for a while yeah so i then- was like okay what can i do next <laughs>
0: So you got the idea. Um, obviously you got the you know how to make it work, but like uh, raising money is a problem for everyone, I feel like, you know, especially well, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. But um Yeah. Um how yeah. is that different from bootstrapping yeah. your entire journey? You
1: know, I think like when you bootstrap, you have so much control over your destination and um and your you know, as bootstrapping too, is just me. There wasn't like, I, and with KnowledgeHound, I brought on a co-founder. And so he and I were really trying to like, both of us were not paying ourselves. We were just really working for equity and, and, and trying to get this company going. What I did right with Knowledge Hound was that I was able to create like a prototype that with with my co-founder, Andrew, he was the developer and the brains behind the, the tech. And he, um, he, we were able to, I was able to go down to Procter and Gamble and be like, Hey, I created the solution. And um, it worked, but it wasn't like, it was a, it was a prototype, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and, and they're like, wow, this is great. How much does this cost? And I was kind of like, how much do you got? how much do you have to spend? you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and I drove back from Cincinnati with basically a promise of a purchase order. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to make this thing work. You know, oh I'm <laughs> like, I got to like, <laughs> oh man. Um, and we did. And then we went and sold a division of Pepsi. We sold Jim Beam. And so with like Fortune 1000 companies as our clients, we were able to successfully raise um, a $1.2 million um, seed round of funding.
0: But I think with
1: that, like, whole experience is that when you don't do, when you fundraise, basically, everyone tells you how terrible your product is and terrible your idea is and how you're not good enough. They don't say it like that. But it is, that's what you hear as a founder. You hear. That's how you
0: interpret what they say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, well you know, I don't think your market size is big enough. I don't think you'll ever, you won't ever sell. You can't expand within organizations. You, um, you, you know, they'll, they'll think of 10 different reasons why your company isn't going to work. And so, and they're not going to invest because of that. And that, that feedback is really valuable for us as founders, because now we can, it, it should, it should help us like triple think like, okay, is that true? Or do I have a plan for that? Uh, Now, I'm starting to go through fundraising a a second time for a different company right now. And I'm finding myself so much more confident in myself and in the process now than I was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I'm much more internalized the feedback. And I was like, Oh, my God, it's gonna fail. I'm never going to get this funding. It's not going to work. Like this is a dumb idea. Like they're right. And uh, this time around, I'm much more like, oh well, pro- I they didn't I I probably didn't articulate it right enough uh, well enough to them, or you know they're not the right investor for us because they don't understand the problem that I'm trying to solve, and that's totally fine. Like that is like that is the majority you, of investors. What made that mindset shift?
0: Do. What made that what made that mind, uh, set shift?
1: I think it. I think. I have, I have gained so much more confidence in myself over the past 10 years. Um, I think I, I feel like I really got beat up at knowledge Hound. Like I had a really tough board of directors for me. Um, and they, and because of them, I grew a really thick skin. Uh, and now that doesn't mean I don't cry or I don't like, um, shrivel inside. But in hindsight, like I felt, I felt very much like I had some key convictions about Knowledge Hound and was recommending some things a lot. And they, I just could never get them on the same page as me. And I'm like, what is, and then, you know, and I would always go back to myself because these people are very experienced. They're investors um, who are, you know, they see a lot of a lot of companies and so I just kind of defaulted to their experience and being like okay well yeah maybe they're right like they and in hindsight I'm like I was right the whole freaking time I was right I knew my business better and of course I did I was the CEO like of course and and I just didn't have the conviction of my own decisions because I gave their experience too big of a weight. Now, I think they absolutely, I don't think they ever intentionally misled me. I don't think I'm, you know, I, it's they. of course they were telling me their pattern recognition on what they were seeing, but they're not in the day-to-day business. And so that is absolutely my fault. I'm not a victim here of of anything. Like it is my fault for not like switching my mindset and and being strong enough to say, Got it. That's your opinion. But you know what, I'm, I know what's best. And I'm going to go do this. Now, there's some things that I couldn't, I needed their permission to go do like raise yeah. more money, and that we just couldn't get aligned on. And, and that's okay. Because um, they're the majority owners of, you know, once you raise yeah. venture funding, you lose control of your business. And so, um, and, and so that's okay. But it's there were so many lessons learned. And I think just I got I really do feel like I got the crap kicked out of me for eight years Um, or at least like I had a board probably for four of those eight years, maybe five of those eight years. And so I do feel like I, I was just, I really struggled with that. And, um, and that built a lot of um, resilience and grit and thicker skin and confidence in myself. Um, but I don't think I could have gotten that had I not gone through a lot of really tough board
0: meetings. So then that, well, a couple of things that come to mind when you say that, because I can feel when you say this, um, you were, you bootstrapped the first company. So you had complete control. Mm-hmm. Now you're in right. this where you're that entrepreneur lion, you know, tiger that just wants to like do what you want to do, but you kept kind of like being told No. Um, what's the, like, if you, what's your, what's your perspective on this whole thing with raising venture money or raising, you know, having to raise a lot of money versus maybe starting, um you know, maybe starting to do something on your own without having to raise as much money first. What's your thought process on that going through both sides of it?
1: yeah I think there are certain businesses that are right for venture, and there's most businesses are not right for venture. Uh, you definitely then you um, I think it's just how how fast do you want to grow so if you have competition that's like really if your business model is really easy to replicate um, if you um if you have a, a strategy that requires you to grow extremely fast uh, and you have a market size that demands that allows for big returns, venture is like a really great option and probably something you should be considering. Um, but if you've, if you've got kind of more of a, a, a product that's more niche or that is got some IP that, uh, no one else has that is really tough to replicate you probably don't have to have like a ton of venture or a lot of funding you know you can you can bootstrap it tech it's hard because you really do need to build a product and it takes a lot of capital to build a product first before you go out whereas uh, sometimes with like um, some of these other businesses you can types of businesses like a cpg business you can I mean, CPG is hard, though, to bootstrap, too. But, um, you know, I have a friend who founded a company on a million, a CPG company on a million dollar line of credit, and that's it, you know, and they were able to be wildly successful. um, And, and that was all the capital they really needed, because you can, you know, they had like, they could sell, they could, through distribution, you get um, you can just get a lot of eyeballs and purchases. So, so no, it depends what type of company you're trying, you're funding. And there's pros and cons to each one. And not every business is right for venture. Um, now, I thought I would actually never do venture again. Uh, after my last experience with Knowledge Hound, I think it, it's very, very hard for a founder to end up on top. I think most people think like, you see these headlines and you see like so-and-so company raised uh, thirty million dollars. Yeah, and and as a founder, you get like this. You're like, oh, oh my God! You get so jealous or like you or like envious or like you're like, oh, I'm failing. Like these people. And the thing, the reality is, is that you have no idea. Like the the founder may own only two percent of the company at that point. You don't like it. Is it, the founder is there? It is very difficult for a founder to make meaningful. Like substantially meaningful money out of venture businesses. Um, I remember one investor once told me uh, that most co founders end up with 10% or less of the business at their exit, and that's combined. So if you've got three co founders, you each have 3%, 3 3.5% of the business at an exit. So you need to make life-changing money for yourself, you know, think about what number you need to sell for, yeah. what number you need to get to. Like, it's just a really hard game, and so, um, and so it's just, yeah, there's a lot of headwinds that work against you as a founder in the VC world. And so I was like, you know what? I think this is all a racket. I'm not sure I'm ever going to do this again. Now, here I am sitting here. I was gonna going to say, which brings I'm you to right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so now, um, so now I'm starting my third tech company, um, and I'm going back to B2C. So now, town was B2B. Um, now I'm going back to consumer um, B2B, meaning B B2, to uh, business to business. Now this is B2C, business to consumer, uh, which was my my first app was this, yeah. and really I'm I'm going after this space of what do you how do you disrupt the shutterflies. Of the world, so like digital scrapbooking hasn't innovated in ten years, uh, and that's just not how we share our stories anymore. We yeah. we share them. We we want like we want to share them, so we share them on Instagram or Facebook, but that's so public. It's so right. public, and so we end up like not sharing a lot of the stories. Um, and then shut our digital scrapbooking is like, so laborious and it doesn't have any voice and there's no video to it. And so dot D O T T named after my grandmother, Dorothy.
0: Oh, um, I didn't know
1: that. Okay. Is, yeah. Yeah. So my 99 year old grandmother, her and I looked through her scrapbooks a lot. And so, <laughs> um, and so she, she's like very dear to my heart. And so dot is, um, it's really kind of like, you can think of it as like, private TikTok meets time capsule. So, you know, it's like the Instagram post I want to put on there, but it's, but it's instead, it's like a post to my daughter and she will eventually. So I, I like make this little post and then I post it in her capsule. So when she's 18 is when I'm going to release her capsule, her dot capsule to her. She'll have almost like a TikTok feed or Instagram feed of like, all these memories of her with my voiceover on top of like, wow. oh, this was your right. first birthday. This is, um, and then the other major feature of Dot is you can go in and you can type in like, create me a um, two-minute video of our our Fourth of July celebration. And we're using computer vision and, um, and some generative AI technology, we'll actually be able to like, compile what we're branding as a flick um, instantly. So you'll be able to like, create, well, it'll create your flick of um, your 4th of July weekend within seconds for you. So it's a very quick way to give someone a, a little snack, a little memory snack um while they're waiting potentially for their capsule which is like their big feast
0: um, I feel like that's whatever that's, how, that's how I was explaining I didn't the the TikTok example you used I I couldn't explain that but the what you just mentioned about like create a so and so 2 minute memory of 4th of July I think that's phenomenal so with generative AI and I feel like I've had mm-hmm three different conversations well two different podcast episodes but like probably 100 different conversations on generative ai with different people right Mm. you as someone that's building a start literally building a startup right now with generative ai how like what's your world like and how different is it than before with like knowledge hound and the first company take the investors like just just the technology it's not that different it's not that different
1: honestly like i think it's the thing that's happening with generative AI right now is that it's exactly what I was going back to like early, what I was saying earlier in this podcast, which is like people are all of a sudden there's this new tool and they're just creating things because they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could do this or that or whatever. But what they're missing is they're not starting with a job to be done. And so it, this is just a new tool. Generative AI is just a new tool in our toolbox. So the job to be done here is still, how do, I, how, do I, um, how, how do I make stories unforgettable? And whether I had generative AI or not, I would have still been creating an app to achieve that job to be done. I just now with generative AI, I can come up with a solution that is like, so is very smooth, it is very cool. It's yeah. cooler than what I could have done before. It's just a t- new tool in our toolbox.
0: And then, um, so obviously, I'm I once all this stuff is once you start to build this up more and more, I'm gonna be your biggest publicist. So I already said it. I'll be your hype man for that because I love <laughs> you as a, I I'm, I gravitate so much towards you because if you have a a, a certain sense of freedom that like i could just feel like mm. just when every that energy that i feel when i'm talking to you and you're just so um y- you're not at all at all arrogant you're just very just down to earth yet you're a fucking badass at what you do uh right and Thanks, you kind of have a i don't give a fuck what you think attitude um in a good way in a good way um but and i think it comes from experience and i think there's so much within you that um, it is, like, even though you've done a lot, like, I, I don't even think you really, I personally don't think you even, um, came close to you're you are even close to like the full potential of what's to come hmm. from you and something Thanks, about Benny. this whole thing with dot technologies, I feel like there's a lot that can happen. So with, where mm-hmm. are you at right now with the company?
1: I Well, first of all, thank you so much for saying all that. That means a lot, especially coming from you. Um, I think, like, I do, sometimes I'm a little too honest. I guess I just don't, I'm, like, very genuine. Like, I'm, I think people enjoy me talking on panels because I will tell them, like, how many times I failed and how, where I act up 50 different ways. And I don't care. Like, I don't care if people know that. And it drives me freaking bonkers when you ask someone, you're at like a networking event and they're like, like, oh, how's the startup going? And they're like, oh, we're crushing it. We're like, oh, you know, everything's great. And I mean, that's great, but there's something terrible going on in in there. And I can't help unless we like compare notes. And so maybe I'm a little too self-deprecating sometimes, but I think I, I find so much value in like just being real with people and not being ashamed of like, how many times I failed, and in certain ways I like wear it as almost like a badge of honor of like I messed up so many freaking times, but I lived it, I did it, and I got through it. Um, so I really appreciate you just giving me the compliment, and I I and it means a lot coming from you. Where I'm at with dot is that um, I am in very early stages. So I self-funded the first eight months of development um but we have i like i'm pretty proud of our mvp so in two weeks we're beta testing it with six people and we're going to work through like the bugs because there's going to be like missing buttons here or there and like like oh right they can't like but then um so by the end of october this is if you're listening this is october 2023 um we'll have a dot app on the app store and um we'll be out there in the wild in and october of 2023 i am october of 2023 and four weeks from now benny we will have a product that you can download on the app store that's not going to look like an mvp i think it looks actually pretty freaking great um but i'm biased oh,
0: you mean so. end of october then
1: yeah 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 September end of
0: october, okay so you're gonna let me yes, know when so that so. happens
1: oh yes sir i am yes <laughs> Um, Yes. And I think, and I'm trying to, I'm going out to the market right now to raise a $1 million um, uh,
0: round
1: of funding, pre-seed round of funding so that when we get into this stage, my goal is to get a thousand downloads and we're just going to like look at these beta, at these early users and we're going to look at all the metrics. Like what are they doing in the app? What are they not doing? Where are they going? Where are they getting value? Who's getting value? And that's going to tell us so much about then what new features, how do we change the app to get more product-like growth, all of that. And so really that million dollars is to, like, feed into the product and, and iterate and change um, and, and, and pivot. I don't mean in the sense of, like, a new product, but, you know, just, like, there's going to be things we learned. Like, there's so much you don't know until you just get something out in the wild. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at on this new journey of dot. Uh, of
0: um yeah, I'm I'm rooting for you. And I w- as soon as you, you just thanks. let me know whenever it comes out, and I will do everything I can to get the word out to different people. So, and then um, you know, I know we're a little over time, and this is see, this is crazy. Like, I thought we both said we'll end it by two o'clock, and here I am. Like, I could talk to you for like another hour. Um, and that's <laughs> know, a very like good that. thing. Um, but just to be mindful of people that are listening right now, the one other yeah. thing I was gonna talk about in um, you know, in a couple of minutes is uh, Defy Ventures, because I'll be honest, there's a lot of things that like, when I first, like when we met in person, like there was a, I was excited to meet you, but then I was like, you know, I I didn't realize how surprised I was going to get um, until you told me here's little um, white blonde, Christy, who's an entrepreneur, who all of a sudden <laughs> is driving two to three hours to different prisons to work with convicts that are like people who are in prison, not jail, prison, yeah, yep. to help them mm-hmm. become entrepreneurs. So can yeah. you just in like two minutes, just talk about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm super passionate about this. This is Defy Ventures, uh, they're a nonprofit. I'm on the board of advisors for the Illinois chapter um, or group, I don't think it's called chapter, but regardless, the, the Illinois business uh, unit. And what we do is, we are a group of people where we create a curriculum for incarcerated individuals who are interested in starting their own business. And these incarcerated individuals have to apply to get in, Um, they have to say what business they're interested in starting. And then once they're accepted into the program, they take, I think it's one or two classes a week. I think it might be two classes a week. They get to come to inside, they're incarcerated. So they're serving their time. So it's inside the prison. They go to class two times a week, uh, which is taught there at the prison. And they are taken through a curriculum of business startup 101. And by the end of the program, they have a full business plan written And so what I do in particular is I volunteer as a mentor and as a judge. So at the end, so through the program, they have certain times in which we show up. uh, We, the volunteers, show up as mentors. So we go into prisons and we sit with them and we listen to their business ideas and we give them real feedback. Like this isn't like the like fluffy, like, oh, that's so nice. I'm cheering for you kind of thing. This is like, you know, I think you really need – you need to be thinking about a distribution strategy because that's going to be the hardest part of your thing. Or, like, the tips of, like, okay, let's, here's what I know about pricing this service, and here are two things that you should be looking at benchmarking. Like, this is, like, real business. And I tell you, Benny, like, it, it's been life-changing for me. These people are so cool, first of all. I was very intimidated. Like, I was, like you said, a blonde haired, blue eyed Wisconsin girl who's never been incarcerated, <laughs> grew up with two parents, like in small town America, showing up and being like, let me mentor you. Like, I just thought like, what, like, who am I to be like, and why do they want to listen to me? These men and women. So we have a, there's a women's facility and a men's facility that we go to a couple different men's facilities, one women, they are so welcoming to me. They value my opinion. These guys also are, stand girls are so impressive. Like they, and a lot of them are entrepreneurs. Like I remember this one woman I talked to, I, you know, we, one of the icebreaker questions for us was like, what business have you started? And she's like, you know, I guess I've been selling, she talked about selling flowers. On um, on the corner when she was a little girl, yeah. um, and um, and I loved it because she talked about so a man would come pick her up in Chicago and take her out to the suburbs, and he would have her sell flowers, and he at the end of the day she had to split the money with him, and she said though she would like she said she always was hustling because she hustled him she would put if she had four quarters she'd put three in one pocket and one in the other and like give him only the money out of the one pocket. And I'm like, get a girl, you know, Um, (laughs) and not condoning hustling, but you know, and it's just these, these people, like they are, they have the entrepreneurial mindset. They have the ambition. They just didn't have the right track necessarily to channel that energy into something that was productive for them in the world. And, and now we get to like feed into that and they are hungry for it. And they have these great ideas. A lot of them are artists and like amazing cooks and everything. So five Ventures is like, you can actually do mentoring online too. We have virtual events. Like if going to prisons is like too intimidating um, and for people, it's just like been really life-changing meeting these folks.
0: I got to say that made me respect you even more because, and this is why like I, I don't know, there's something about the energy that you have that I genuinely respect because there's so many people that talk, especially ever since the George Floyd thing happened, right? Like everyone just talks about things and hashtags different things, but most of those people are full of, most people, most people are full of shit. There's a lot of people that talk. There's very, very few people that do. I easily gravitate towards the people that do because the crazy thing is like a lot of the people that do don't really talk about it, right? Right. And so that's yeah. why I have a very big like middle finger to the people that just talk about it that don't do because I will talk about the people that do, all day long, and I and I love that I love that about you. Um, I it was just funny even the reaction from the people on Tuesday when I said that, uh, like wait what? <laughs> so- so he's
1: going to prison? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> November first, November first, I'll be in Logan. Um, Logan Correctional Facility down in the middle of Illinois and the women get to graduate from their program which is so cool most of these women have never graduated from anything ever and so they get to like we give them like cap and gown they get like a certificate there are tears I mean men and women when graduation ceremony comes it is like amazing it's just so cool it's so cool
0: I love that i love hearing that from you i think um um you know it's crazy because there's so much that i like want to talk to you about but just from a timing perspective but um i feel like i'm gonna have to get we're gonna have to do another one um and then talk about the experience as, like a mother entrepreneur oh family yeah Like there is so much to this um um and i it, yeah we're not going to be able to get to all that because I feel like that should be a completely different episode.
1: Yeah. Well, people have also like, I, I was telling you, Benny, before we jumped on is like, I listen to podcasts when I work out or when I walk my dog. And usually I've got like 30 minutes to 60 minutes and then it's over. So I think they're done walking their dog now or they're done they're finished their final rep at the gym so yeah. we should wrap this up
0: yeah they're just <laughs> about we, to hit the sauna or we, the steam room at the gym or whatever yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah but real quick before we stop it um how what's the best way to get a hold of you if people want to reach you yeah
1: so i'm on linkedin christy Zulke, um z-u-h-l-k-e is my it's my last name um i don't think i've switched it to my married name which i'm legally Stewart, but who likes taking oh, their, know their husband's last name yeah i don't really i'm i'm like not a big last name changer um
0: i like that that's good
1: <laughs> my poor husband um the um but i did legally change it so that our kids would have my same last name um or i'd have the same last name my kids anyway um <laughs> But um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, just note that you heard me on the podcast. Um, that's like the easiest way to get a hold of me. But do note that you heard me on the podcast because I don't accept from just like random anyone. Um, so I just need, I like to have a note and how you, how you met yeah, me, whether so
0: tell people that or you were, you heard her on the podcast. And then also, obviously, if it's people that know me, they could reach out to me directly and I'll see if it yes, makes sense. Please. Um, yes. But um, I am, you know, like I could talk about you for a long time and it's because of the energy that I genuinely seeing you. I think uh, I'm excited to have you in the Orion3 family. I'm so glad the timing worked out. And um, I think we're going to do something again with you where like you could talk about being a mom and an entrepreneur because it's just this conversation was so engaging that like I didn't even think about it, (laughs) you know, like so. (laughs) uh, Yeah but cool. Thank you so much.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.